0: Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.' Jesus replied, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you?' Then he said to them, "'Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. "'A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions.' And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. Word of prayer before we unpack those verses. Father, thank you for your word living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Speak to us this morning. May our hearts and minds be open to hear from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A few years ago, I uh, saw a report in the newspaper about a proposal for um, road signs to be um, to be marked on the pavement at ground level rather than at eye level. It was a serious government proposal that um, street names and uh, when you're coming to the edge of a pavement into a pedestrian crossing that the signage rather than being at eye level should be at ground level and the reason for that is because we are obsessed with staring at our mobile phones. And people wander around the streets these days, not looking um, at eye level, but staring down. And so um, people are sort of wandering into the street and getting run over because they're not looking where they're going. So the proposal was made, well, let's put the signage at ground level on the floor so that if people are wandering around staring at their phones, uh, well, actually, they'll see the signage and realise they're about to walk into the road and get run over. I thought, how sad what a sad indictment of uh, of of where we've got to that we wander around looking at the ground um rather than you know looking at what's going on around us one of the things that i love um uh, when i go to a you know to a new town and wander down the high street is to look up and particularly look at buildings above the ground floor because if you wander down any high street in any town in this country they look pretty much the same because the frontages are usually the brand names of a particular shop. So any Boots looks like any other Boots, and any Smiths looks like any other W. Smiths. It's when you look first floor and above that you see the original buildings, and you begin to see the history, and you see the individuality, and you see, and you see the beauty. But we've become a society obsessed with, with looking down and missing all of that beauty. Well, this passage and this parable and this issue is all about where are we looking? Are we looking at the ground? Are we looking purely at earthly material things or are we looking to the things of heaven? That's what this is all about and that's the challenge for us this morning is to think about well where am I looking? Am I looking at the ground? Am I looking at material things? Is that my the focus of my life? Or is the focus of my life looking up? And looking at the beauty of heavenly things. And so uh, this man comes to Jesus, says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. His focus is on earthly material things. And he's probably, um, as a Jew in Israel, thinking not just about um, possessions, but also about land. And land for a Jew is really significant and really important because God promised the land of Israel to Abraham. Hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. So this is really significant and really important. And that's his his focus is on temporal things and earthly things. He says, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus won't get involved. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus isn't prepared to get involved. People would often go to a rabbi or a spiritual leader to ask them to mediate in disputes. Jesus isn't going to do that on this occasion. But he takes this moment to teach a much more important and significant uh, lesson. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard, be on your guard. There are only three occasions or rather only three contexts In which Jesus says to his disciples, Be on your guard. So we need to think about those just for a moment because just if Jesus says, Be on your guard, he doesn't do it very often. So it's very significant when he does do it, when he says, Be on your guard, we really need to sit up and listen. To what he's saying and take it on board. So, three contexts in which which Jesus says to his disciples, be on your guard. The first we looked at last week, where Jesus says to the disciples um, uh, earlier in chapter 12, verse 1, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on your guard against hypocrisy. Be on your guard against being, pretending to be, or appearing to be something that you're not. I said last Sunday that hypocrisy is. It is the cancer that eats into the credibility of the kingdom of God here on earth. We've seen that again, so sadly, just in these last couple of weeks. Some of you will have been aware in the uh, the Christian press of the uh, just the fall of Ravi Zacharias. He had a just a a global ministry built up over fifty. Years. Just an incredible ministry as an evangelist, as an apologist for the Christian faith. He taught all over the world. He taught in universities. He did, you know, just millions of YouTube videos of, you know, talking about the Christian faith and the relevance of Jesus and the faithfulness and the love of God. And all the time he was living a, a hypocritical life. All the time he was he was unfaithful. He was involved in sexual immorality. And uh, since his death It's all come to light. And his hypocrisy overnight has destroyed 50 years of ministry. That's what hypocrisy does. So Jesus says, be on your guard against hypocrisy. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. The second context in which Jesus um, says to his disciples to be on their guard is when he's talking about the cost of following him. He's trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that they're going to be arrested. They're going to be put on trial. They're going to be beaten. And he says, be on your guard. Uh, In Mark 13, verse 9, he says, you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. He says, be on your guard. Be aware of the fact that following me is going to be costly. It's going to cost you dear, but the gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Don't be discouraged when the going gets tough. Keep going at it. And in the same context, he talks about being on your, being on our guard, uh, preparing for Jesus's return. Jesus is going to come back. And the danger is that because it's taken a while, we're 2000 years now, we're still waiting for the return of Jesus. The danger is we become complacent. The danger is we take our eye off the ball. So, Jesus says, be on your guard. Only the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. But we must always be alert, be living our lives um, with the expectation that Jesus is going to return. If Jesus returned today, um, would he be uh, pleased with what he found? Would he find me living a life seeking to give glory to him? So, Jesus says, be on your guard against hypocrisy. Be on your guard. Against um, trouble and persecution. Just be aware that that's going to come your way. Be on your guard. Don't get sloppy. Don't get complacent as you wait for his return. And this is the only other time where Jesus says, be on your guard. And he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Interesting that Jesus picks this one thing, greed, that we should be on our guard against. Um, Because when we you know when we think about um, you know sin and we think about the traps that people fall into and we think about the downfall of Christians, the downfall of Christian leaders. How often is it that the thing we obsess about and get so het up about is is sexual sin? I can think of the top of off the top of my head of you know, just any number of Christian leaders who have been called out quite rightly for for sexual sin for inappropriate relationships. But we need to just put things in perspective. When Paul is writing to uh, the church at Corinth, his first letter to the Corinthians, this is what he uh, he writes to them about. Uh, One Corinthians chapter five, verse nine, he says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, he's talking about um, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. So, again, this is about hypocrisy. Um, He's writing about Christians. Um, Don't associate with followers of Jesus, he's saying, who are uh, living sexually immoral lives. Don't associate with sexually immoral people or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. So he puts them all all on a level playing field, if you like. Um, uh, Sexually immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. How often have you heard a Christian leader called out for greed? Or Christian disciplined because they were greedy? Very rarely. As I say, you can think of so many um, Christian leaders called out quite rightly for sexual immorality. But how often are Christian leaders called out for for greed? You just think of you know some some Christians who, you know, living in these vast mansions flying around in their private jets. Do they ever get called out for, for greed? That's the one thing that Jesus lands on. This third context where Jesus says, be on your guard. And he doesn't talk about sexual sin. He talks about greed of all kinds. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because if anything is going to ruin us, and if anything will be a sign that we're looking in the wrong direction, it will be greed not sexual sin. So often, sexual sin begins with greed because it's all about wanting something that we shouldn't have. Just think about um, David and Bathsheba in the Old Testament. King David read from his psalm uh, when we started this morning, so many beautiful psalms written uh, by King David. But we know about his, you know, his uh, just downfall with uh, with Bathsheba, how did that begin? Well, it began with greed. David looked on Bathsheba, and the lust that he felt was greed. He was greedy for her, and it ruined his life, ruined his family's life. He still had a you know long um kingship, very prosperous kingship in so many ways, but his you know his greed ruined his life and ruined his family's life. Uh, where does that begin it begins in the the most basic greed of all adam and eve in the garden of eden they were they were greedy they coveted something that they shouldn't have had the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it looked really tasty it looked really good to eat and they thought we want that we want that and it led to the greatest downfall of all greed it's the tenth commandment you shall not covet You shall not covet. Greed will ruin us more than anything else. And that's why Jesus picks on it on this occasion. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed, whatever it may be for. All kinds of greed. He says a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. It's not about uh, what we own, what we own, what we have. That's not what gives us value. Um, I was just um thinking as I was preparing, thinking back to uh, 1997 when um, Lady Diana, Princess of Wales, was tragically killed in that horrific car crash in Paris. And on the same day that um princess Diana was killed, um Mother Teresa of Calcutta died. And it was barely mentioned in the news because because for you know for several weeks the news was just obsessed with with Lady Diana because you think well materially materially um, who who kind of had the most? Um, princess Diana perhaps one of the wo- most wealthy people in the in the world um material prosperity Uh, you know, way beyond anything that she might have needed. Uh, Mother Teresa, who literally owned nothing. Who was the richest? Who was the richest? Mother Teresa, who, who owned nothing, but who knew her worth in God's sight, knew that she was loved by God, knew that she had a relationship with Jesus Christ, knew that she had eternal life, or... Um, Lady Diana, who owned materially so much and yet was clearly so unsure and uncertain of her identity or her um, eternal worth, her eternal value. Um, uh, We do it all the time. We look at people and we place a value on them based on what they have, what they own, their prosperity. Jesus says, Our lives do not consist in what we have. So what do they consist of? What does does my life really consist of? Or should it really consist of? What does your life really consist of? What should be the value of your life? Well, it's that you and I are made in the image of God. That's what gives us our essential worth and our that's what makes you so precious not what you have not what you own not where you live not what car you drive not what job not what your salary is it's the fact you are made in the image of God we sort of touched on this last week when uh, we were looking at what Jesus says in verse six he says oh not five sparrows sold for two pennies yet not one of them is forgotten by God Why not? Because the creator cares about his creation. He cares about you. He created you in his image. That's what gives you your essential worth and your value. And the fact that God loved you so much that even though you and I have fallen short of his glory, even though we became separated from him through sin, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. He paid a price on the cross in order to save us. That's what gives you your value. That's what gives me my value. We're made in the image of God. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that our relationship with him might be restored. That's what our life truly consists of. So you can live this life and never own a thing and be the richest person in the world. By the same token, um, you can be a billionaire and be the poorest person in this world. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Where are we looking? Are we just looking at earthly material things? Or are we looking to the beauty above? Are we looking to the beauty of heaven? Are we looking to the beauty of eternity? Where are our eyes fixed? So easy to become distracted. You know, I've I have a a perfectly adequate car. It's a really lovely car. I love driving it. It's um, it's like seven years old, but it it drives brilliantly. It's never let me down. It gets me from A to B. Pretty much every day, I get distracted by looking at another car. And I think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have that car? Wouldn't it be nice to draw? Wouldn't it be nice if my car had this, that, or the other? I live in a I live in a beautiful house. I'm so blessed with where I live. It's just the most beautiful. But I go for walks and I I look at other I think, oh, oh I'd love to live there. That must be a lovely place. To, it's so easy to get distracted. And before we know it, to become greedy. Jesus says, Be on your guard. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then he tells this story, this parable. Who is at the centre of this little story? Let me just read the parable for you again. Just think about the, the, the guy that it's told about. What is his focus? The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear, bow, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. Who's the focus of his life? He is. It doesn't even cross his mind to think about giving away the excess to others. He's like, wow i 've got all of this stuff. What am I going to do with my crop? My grain, my goods doesn't it even occur to him to give it away He's so focused on material things it doesn't even cross his mind that he should be generous that he should he should give it away. Um, I was reading the other day John Wesley uh, when he was um sort of in ministry, uh, when he first started he he was earning the grand salary of £30 a year, £30 a year, 18th century, you could get by on thirty-eight £30 a year. In fact, he got by on £28 a year. That was what he needed to live on. So uh, he lived on £28, he gave the £2 away. Um, gradually, his, his sort of income increased. So when he was earning £60 a year, he lived on £28 a year and he gave £32 away. Uh, When he was earning £90 a year, he lived on £28 a year. He gave the rest away. He lived on what he needed and he gave the surplus away. The guy in this parable thinks, I'm going to keep it all. I'm going to keep it all. I'm not going to live on what I need and be generous with the rest. I'm going to enjoy it all. And the folly is so obvious. The folly is so obvious. God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? That's the clincher, isn't it? So with all that we have, whose is it? And what are we doing with it? The psalmist says, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What does that make you and I? It doesn't make us owners. God is the owner of everything in the earth. It makes you and I stewards. We are stewards of what is God. Everything that we have, we have because of God. It belongs to Him and we are stewards. So important that we make that um, adjustment in our thinking, that everything we have, I'm just a steward. So the question is, what does God want me to do with what he's given me? Which is why Wesley said, well, what do I need to live on? I need 28 pounds a year to live on. What does God want me to do with the surplus? So he gave it away when he was earning 60 pounds. Well, I only need twenty eight pounds a year to live on what does god what where can I give what What can I do with the rest that God has given me? I'm a steward, not an owner. One of the hardest transitions to make in your Christian discipleship. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is one of the hardest transitions in the renewal of your mind to make one of the hardest shifts to make is to think I'm a steward, not an owner. I'm looking after God's stuff. What does he want me to do with it? That's why Jesus ends verse 21 by saying, um, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, herself, but is not rich towards God. It's not rich towards God. Just think about that for a moment. You were you, might almost think that the punchline of this parable would be, that's how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards other people. Not rich towards other people. You think it's, it's a parable about being generous. It is a parable about being generous, but it's more than that. It's not just, you know, giving stuff away to other people. This is about the giving of ourselves to God. It's about total surrender. It's about total sacrifice. It's the total handing over of everything that we are so that we become stewards. Otherwise, the risk that we take is we lose the lot. We don't get to enjoy it. The fool thought, I'm going to take life easy, going to eat, drink and be merry. Then he dies. So why should we live in this way? Just as we begin to draw to a close, just some verses from Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter three. Uh, Paul writing to followers of Jesus. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Think about it for a moment. You have been raised with Christ. It's it's a done deal because of what Jesus did on the cross, already we are citizens of heaven. We may still be living on earth, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your trust in him, you're a citizen of heaven. You are guaranteed eternal life. No question, no doubt about it. It's certain because Jesus paid the price. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God your life is now hidden with Christ in God we're already citizens of heaven because of what Jesus did for us that should be our our focus on preparing for the rest of eternal life i want to live my life in such a way that i am preparing myself for eternal life i want to sit lightly to the things of this world i want to live with the things that i need not the things that i want i want to be on my guard against greed of all kinds i want to be rich towards god so often i pray in the morning and i say to god lord i just want to be the person you want me to be doing what you've called me to do in the place where you've put me i am all in and i am all yours and I've been praying that prayer for years and years and years I pray it regularly in the morning Lord I just want to be the person you want me to be doing what you want me to do in the place where you've put me it's um total I want to be rich towards God by offering the whole of myself to him being a steward of my time my treasure and my talents so friends Let's be on our guard. Be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Our lives do not consist in what we have, but on who we are in God's sight. We're made in his image. He invites us into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He gives us as a gift eternal life. Let's live with our eyes fixed on him, fixed on the things of heaven. Let me pray. i am got to pray. And um, always when we've listened to God's word, um, then we need to listen to the spirit of God and for what he is wanting to say to us individually. What is what's the spirit wanting to challenge us on this morning? What does he what steps does he want us to take in response to what we've heard? What do we need to change Is there an attitude that needs to change? Is there um, uh, something that we're we're greedy for that he wants to put his finger on and say, be on your guard? So let's take a moment. And uh, Holy Spirit, we we welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. You are the counsellor uh, before jesus ascended into heaven he said that he would send the holy spirit who would lead us into all truth holy spirit that's why we uh, we welcome you and we are open to you and we want to hear from you what from the message we've heard this morning do we really need to hear Maybe it's just about our value and how much we are truly worth. That whatever we may think of ourselves, you think we are amazing and wonderful and worth the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. May we know how much you love us and value us this morning. Holy Spirit, maybe there's a challenge. Maybe we are too focused on the things of this earth. Maybe we've become sloppy in our discipleship. We're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking down and not looking up. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning.